Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks to talk about Star Trek Picard Episode 9 at in Arcadio Ego. And with me is Steve Chu and Christine Peek. Each, uh, we're all remote and Star Trek Picard is one of the ways that we're staying sane while uh, all, none of us should be leaving our houses per the order of the California governor. So here we are. Uh, Christine, Steve, how you guys each doing? We're good. Yeah, hanging in there. Yeah. How are you, Christine? Doing okay. I'm glad to be joining you guys. Glad you're both here because we've all talked about Star Trek at cons and we truly are lifelong Star Trek fans. So let's let's jump into uh, this episode which I think was one of the better ones of uh, the series because it's, it's moving forward and it's focused on Picard. And uh, my brother and I had some chats about, about this and uh, it's, there's some storytelling aspects that are interesting to debate. But one of the things that we jump into is we get more of a sense of what happened to uh, Dr. Girardi, uh, Agnes, when Sutra, one of the earlier versions of a Solji model, she uh, still has more data-like skin and eyes, could do a Vulcan mind meld. Now, there's been some nerd rage going, how did an android do that? Plus, why are we making Vulcans less special with all of a sudden now the android knows how to do a mind meld? But it happened. And I don't know if the writers were just short on ideas and how to get that information out of Agnes's head or what, but um, this kind of plays into how can we defend Agnes with the insanity defense because of how she processed the ammunition or is it still not defendable? And uh, it'd be kind of fun to talk about that. Now, Christine, since we have debated the insanity defense before when talking about, say, uh, the trial of the Punisher from uh, Daredevil season two, uh, we've, we've ad addressed this before. What are your thoughts on, what, on how to defend Tr Dr. Girardi with what we know now about the admonition and the human mind not being able to process it? So we do get some new information in this episode, um, which could change our previous analysis. Although, I don't know, Josh, I know you want to save Agnes, and, and, and so do I. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and, and gosh darn it, we're going to try. She's but, innocent, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I have, I have mixed feelings on it as well, and I'll save that. But yeah, you go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, okay, so we're, we're working with this idea that... Um, they introduce in this episode that Agnes's human mind simply couldn't process the admonition um, and therefore resulted in some type of mental disease or defect. Um, so I, earlier I had said I didn't want to give up on this defense, but then I proceeded to talk myself out of it. Um, and I think I'm still talking myself out of it. But um, I mean, I think that that inability to process goes more towards um, the first element, right? So there's two elements you need in order to satisfy this um, insanity defense. So the first thing that Agnes would have to show is that when she killed Maddox, she was actually suffering from a mental disease or defect. And then she would also have to show that because of that disease or defect, 
she was not capable of knowing or understanding the nature or quality of her act, or that she was incapable of knowing or understanding that her act was more or legally wrong. And I think the the information that it was not the message was not intended for her probably does help you with the first element with showing that she had possibly showing that she had a mental disease or defect. But I think that it doesn't do as much for you on the second part of the test. Um, just because I, I can't get around the, the reaction that she has to anticipating what she's going to do. The facts to me seem to suggest that she knew what she was doing was wrong, but she somehow was just disempowered perhaps by the mind meld um, from stopping herself. So that's, that's a, a quick take on it. Um, I think even in that episode, Picard questions whether Agnes knew what she was doing was both legally and morally wrong. When he says, did she think she was right or did she simply believe that she had no choice? Because there's a difference between those things. You could read that to imply that even if she did believe she had no choice, her belief was not reasonable. I agree with your analysis because my reaction to that is it's a mistake of fact. You thought bad things would happen. So you're doing a summary execution of Bruce Maddox, not to stop the bad thing from happening, but she killed Maddox because he made artificial life. There's, I mean, the insanity defense is irrelevant because it's not an issue of knowing right from wrong. It's under, you know, it's the justification for the killing. And the fact she was conducting a summary execution because she misinterpreted a, a warning, uh, that's bad. Uh, the, the thing to, for a defense attorney to try to fight on is more of the, uh, what did the mind mill do to her? If that somehow affected her ability to know right from wrong, or uh, to uh, maybe it created an irresistible impulse uh, to, to conduct the, the killing of Maddox. Uh, I, I would think they would need something along those lines to defend her. Uh, but it's, you know, the, the adorable Allison Pill probably is gonna spend the rest of her life in a prison cell because I, I can't find a way for this to work. Steve, uh, what do you think? I think she's in trouble. Uh, I don't think that the insanity defense really fits squarely within the facts that we have. She's not really insane. You know, as we talked about, when she's committing the acts that lead to Bruce Maddox's death, she says, I, I, if only you had seen what I'd seen, I wish I hadn't seen what I've seen. Like, she clearly knows what she's doing. Um, I think our best shot probably is to say that the Vulcan mind meld affected her in some way. And, you know, if you're going to try to go the insanity route and say she just wasn't really in control, but you know, the facts are going to really um, are going to be a, a problem there. Um, the justification defense is probably more where this fits, where she felt she was she genuinely believed that she was helping to save humanity by committing this execution. But, uh, you know, I think all of this may help for sentencing. I don't know if it's going to get her off the hook. I, I think. Um, I think she better get used to, unfortunately. Uh, well, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, depending upon your point of view, but she better get used to um, having to sort of carry this, uh, this burden with her. Uh, if she surrendered to the authorities, she likely would be 
following the trial, be locked up if she tries to stay um, on this new planet. Well, who knows what will happen? I, I, I do wonder just story-wise if we're even going to get to that point where she will be subject to, um, you know, having to face the music for this. You know, I, I don't know if she's going to survive the uh, season one is, is what I'm, what I'm saying, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Lots of rich legal issues there because she screwed up. Uh, <laughs> there's, I, I, I agree with the, the mind meld argument would probably be the best thing to try to argue with uh, like, Oh, transferred her intent to Agnes and thus Agnes couldn't control herself uh, despite the fact she knew what she was doing was wrong. But that's, uh, again, that's problematic. Yeah, I think all of her, her defenses are a little imperfect. Um, I think I'd probably have to shoot down my unconsciousness idea for a similar reason. Um, I was trying to analogize the mind meld to involuntary intoxication, but I think that she's still conscious of her actions, so that doesn't work either. I think, I think you might be onto something with mistake of fact, and Steve used the term justification, which I think gets, gets closer to how that could possibly help her. Um, it could possibly negate malice um, for her, um, or you could, you could try to make some type of unreasonable self-defense argument based on mistake of fact. So she, she has an actual but unreasonable belief that Maddox has to die in order to prevent the de destruction of all organic life, which turns out to be wrong, but she doesn't realize she's wrong because the admission wasn't intended for her. But I think right. you have to be a little careful about mixing that up with insanity because California law generally doesn't let a defendant combine insanity with mistake of fact. So they, they draw a distinction between um, unreasonable self-defense, which involves a misperception of the objective circumstances um, from some reaction that's produced by a mental disturbance. So for, for mistake of fact to even mitigate for her, I think we would have to take the position that Agnes is actually not suffering from a mental disease or defect. She just misunderstood the objective circumstances that she was in. She misunderstood the warning, basically. Right, she, exactly. Yeah. She misunderstood the warning. Yeah. As have the, the Zot Vosh for all these years, apparently. <laughs> yeah, centuries. Uh, that's ugh, so not good. Uh, but so then, but then, if we take that defense, how can you principally distinguish between Agnes and Commodore O for purposes of yes of this defense of mistake of fact? How right. do I, I feel like we have to find something for Agnes that doesn't also get Commodore O off the hook? This is very That's results right. oriented. I concede. Yes, yes, that <laughs> I think I think we have a little bias going into this. Um, yes, if we if we yes, go we by do. the process, if we go by the process, and if Agnes is exonerated somehow. That's a pretty powerful precedent for all of these odd Vosh as well. You know, if, if what she did was right in killing Maddox, how is what uh, the Zod Vosh did and all of, committing all their horrors, how is that not right as well? You know, it's objectively wrong. <laughs> it's it's uh, <laughs> uh, again, it's they they have that Soviet style like government. And I, I've been listening to the the uh, the Cold War What We Saw podcast, and it's excellent if you if you're into Cold War history. And one of their arguments that I agree with about 
uh, the early part of the Cold War was the United States could coexist with the Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union could not coexist with the United States just because of how the Soviets viewed um, their, their form of communism and they would, saw the United States as a threat. So that got into paranoid thinking and behavior and that's the Jad Vosh, that it's a secret organization making people disappear in the middle of the night doing what they please for what they think is right. And that's, again, that very secret police uh, above the law type behavior that we've seen in dictatorships uh, with many historical examples. So, so, so it's the methods that really bother you, Josh. It's, well, it's a closed door society that doesn't look at any other alternatives of what could this thing be. And it's fueled from paranoia. I mean, it's a complete misinterpretation. So, yeah, it's not good. And again, when you're confronted with like, oh, this is a problem, you know, is the reaction is, well, let's kill all of them. (laughs) Yeah. It's... No, <laughs> that should not be the reaction of, I guess we're going to have to exterminate all of them. Okay, that's, that's pretty rough. That, that's mm-hmm. a beyond uh, rational reaction. Well, let's pivot to um, Brent Spiner getting a, playing another song. And <laughs> uh, again, another article talked about, boy, that song DNA is really strong. Apparently, uh, yeah. It's just, you know, Grandpa Soong was into eugenics. So, like, were they, like, toying with their DNA? Like, were they making <laughs> the perfect... I want Junior to look like me, just as I look like my dad. And where are all the women in this who are, you know, comfortable having children with egocentric guys who want to just make androids? Call me old-fashioned. But, um... Yeah. Uh, let's, what do you think his liability is for building synthetics? And uh, Christine, what's, what's your take on that? Well, so in episode one, Dr. Gerardi says that making synths is a violation of a galactic treaty. So I think step one in that analysis would be determining what that treaty says the penalties are and whether it authorizes any entity to carry out enforcement measures. So we don't really have a lot of information from that from the series, but maybe we could speculate that the Federation Council or some other body within the Federation is authorized to enforce the treaty. Um, You might think that would be supported because if Maddox took the step of taking his operation to a planet um, and soon took the step of taking their operation to a planet where they believe they wouldn't be found, and they apparently went to the trouble of developing this ORCID-based planetary defense system, then maybe you can infer that, well, they wouldn't have done that unless the Federation were somehow empowered to enforce the treaty or somebody is empowered to enforce the treaty. And then step two, if there's no such enforceable body within the Federation, I think you'd start looking at, well, could an individual member planet of the Federation enforce the treaty? So again, we're a little short on law that comes to us from the series, but you could try analogizing to um, 
our approach to it, and we have a supremacy clause that says treaties made or what shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. But then you have a series of um, Supreme Court decisions that distinguish between treaties that are considered equivalent to an act of the legislature and therefore enforceable and those that the legislature should execute, meaning they can't be enforced in courts until they're somehow implemented by Congress and the president. So to determine if the treaty imposing the ban is enforceable in the courts of member planets, you would need to know a few more facts that go to whether or not this is a self-executing treaty or whether the legislative body needs to take some additional step in order to execute it. Steve, how about your thoughts? Uh, I, I think that's uh, I think that's correct. Uh, the, we we don't have a lot to go on here. I mean, if the question is just is Sung Alton and Ego Sung um, liable for building synthetics at all? Well, it, it is a clear violation of the ban. Uh, I, we we can infer a couple things, but these are all assumptions. Uh, it. It seems that the ban is pretty strictly enforced, and my reasoning for that is when we meet Riker and Troy uh, and Kestra, and they talk about the um, son Thad that did not make it, they talk about how he could have been saved, but the treatment would have required the use of a positronic network, you know, with um, synthetic technology. So if ever there were an exception that could be made on humanitarian grounds you know, to save a child's life, one would think that they would have exhausted that avenue and tried to do that. Uh, there, there's probably more story there. I'm sure Riker and Troy tr tried everything they could to save their child, but it, it, we can infer from the fact that the child died that there was no exception made. So the synthetic um, ban or the ban on synthetics appears to be pretty strong. You know, it, it was a reactionary, um, you know, move to the Mars attacks. And we have now learned, well, the Romulans were, were behind that, yes. But, you know, that was still the law of the land. So, you know, Sung is, I think his closest analogy, probably his legal status really would be sort of like a fugitive. I mean, he's fled. And so he can do this research, which he cannot do anywhere else certainly not anywhere in the Federation. So is he even a Federation citizen anymore? I mean, who knows, but he could do the type of research he wanted within the Federation. So he had to leave. One thing I would like to know is when were his androids created? Because if they were pre-ban, you know, they, you get into a nice right to life argument saying like they exist, they have right. personalities, they meet all the requirements for life. They're, you know, clearly high functioning. And this is like euthanizing an entire population because of their nationality. And that's just messed up. It's just, I mean, like it, it goes against our sense of justice. So I could understand him going into hiding was he in hiding prior to the ban? Probably because the Sung name is carries some baggage, and uh, you know he could be kind of viewed as a libertarian out on his land in a faraway place, making um, making androids, you know, doing what he wants. Or, you know, what's taking place post ban, and making them look more human, because it's one. Uh, 
thing to have androids that clearly look like androids. You know, the, the goldish skin, the yellowish eyes, and you can go like, yeah, that's not quite human. But it's something else to go, yeah, they look human now. They, they eat, they can, <laughs> they, they, they feel, they dream. It's like, ugh, you know, this is, you know, we grew a body around a positronic net. That's a very different case. So there's, uh, it'd be good to actually have the text of the treaty and be able to get into that. You know, what is also interesting to, uh, and you touched on this, Josh, uh, we're, we're in a situation here where we, we don't know a lot about Alton and Igosung. We're assuming he is human. At least he's, he seems to say that, and we're left with that belief. Um, and he says, I came from my father, although he, my father made data. Like, okay, so I guess he is the son of... Um, of so you know Dr. Noonien Sung who who created data. Uh, where has he been all this time? Who's his mom? You know those are all questions kind of left out in the air for the moment. But uh, in terms of legal status, if he had created these synthetics before the ban, then yes, you get into this big right to life argument. You know we get back to measure of a man and things like that. Um, but even if he didn't, let's say that the ban happens, he leaves, and then he escapes and creates these synthetic life forms. And now they've got like a whole group of them living on a planet. And we remember the previous contact with the Ibn Majid. Uh, that was a first contact situation because these people, they are a society, their own civilization now. They're like a race really. So they're asking for some sort of like diplomatic recognition, uh, diplomatic rights. You know, at, at this point, it's very different now, you know, from, uh, from just being a creation, they arguably are, you know, their own species and they could have very different legal status as a result. Agreed. Agreed. So let's pivot. Why did everyone, and I do mean everyone assume, uh, that Narek was physically able to kill Saga and that everyone just goes along with <laughs> sutras. You know, like, well, we're, we're going to have to exterminate all the organic life now. I, I don't know if this is just like kind of lazy writing, but when you have the colony of super people who can move at lightning speed, who are super strong, who are physically superior to, you know, organic life, and even if, you know, Romulans are strong, like just like, Vulcans are strong, are stronger than a human being, they wouldn't be stronger than an android, nor would they have reflexes faster than an android. People assume Saga is murdered way too easily. <laughs> and uh, did, did either of you have that reaction, uh, Christine? <laughs> Yeah, I had your same reaction, Josh. Although I think, I mean, it's left deliberately ambiguous. It certainly seems more like the kind of thing Sutra would do, although they don't really tell yeah. you for sure exactly who's committed this act. But of course, if the sims were constructed like data, yeah, Narek probably couldn't kill Saga. She could probably overpower him. The only thing I could think is that the sims on the, this planet seem very childlike. So maybe Saga simply wouldn't anticipate that either Narek or Sutra would attack her. Um, they do foreshadow a bit 
by showing Narek looking specifically at the murder weapon. The other thing that was unclear to me with that scene is that it's not clear why just being stabbed in the eye would result in the loss of all life functions for Saga. Yes. Especially not if, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if Soji can survive, it was probably some mild radiation poisoning while she was trying to break, break to the floor in the meditation room. Then how is it that, I mean, can't they just replace her eye? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. how is that fatal? You know, it's like, how is that <laughs> fatal to her positronic net? You know, like, why, why couldn't right. they sh shake that off? I mean, hell, Data's head was blown off. Just walk off it off. <laughs> yeah, like Data's head gets yeah. blown off in the 19th century and lies in wait for 500 years. And still and works. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, look, <laughs> dusty, you know. <laughs> I'll just yeah. A little can of air and just hook this bad boy back up and here we go. Yeah, I just... I, I think when it happens, you know, when it happens, we see her on the floor, you know, stabbed in the eye and because she looks so human, you just think, oh, okay, she's dead. But, you know, a moment later, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, wait a second. No, that, that, that shouldn't work. Like, she should just be able to get up and pull the thing out of her eye and say, oh, okay, I need a new eyeball, you know, yeah. and just kind of keep going. But then they have, like, a funeral service for her, too. So it's, it's Like, why didn't she, like, ow, snap his neck? Like, that should have been the, the outcome. Of, right, yeah. If, if that was him doing that to her, or if it's uh, Sutra doing that, to her, which is what I think the likely situation is of Sutra let Narek go, Sutra then killed Saga using the um, uh, mirroring Commodore O instead of you know an attack on Mars. It's like, look, one of our sisters has been murdered uh, just as my sister was murdered. Uh, therefore, you know, I'm now the destroyer of man and uh, let's go kill all organic life. That's a uh, just seems to be kind of a lazy storytelling uh, that they couldn't figure a way out to make this happen with all these super beings. Uh, the other thing that kind of irked me, and again, it goes back to Sutra. Uh, so she likes Vulcans. So she studied Serac and Path of Logic. <laughs> Why is she, she so damn nefarious? Uh, because like that's not the Vulcan way, that's not the teachings of Sirach. It'd be like the warrior Buddha monk, you know. It's like what, you know, like that's that's that shouldn't be the outcome of that. That's not Zen. Yeah, she, she certainly acts more Romulan than Vulcan. She seems almost passionate rather than dispassionate. Uh, I'm sure that um, uh, the writers were probably thinking, well, uh, she's becoming very lore-like and that her actions that she's in which she's engaging these sort of evil actions um have appeared logical to her that okay it's us or them we have to survive and therefore it's logical that we take whatever steps necessary even if it means sacrificing some of our brothers and sisters so the rest of us may live you know there can be a logic there yeah but it, it goes against the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one it's really interesting because it Maybe. seems like Soji is starting to conceptualize the, that whole idea that it's maybe just fear and that's it. But she's, she's unable to, to work that all the way through. Or maybe she's just afraid of um, countermanding Sutra. 
um, because Sutra does seem to be in charge. But um, it's interesting because Sutra's reaction can certainly be viewed as an extreme fear-based reaction and clearly not purging emotions or making any effort to master emotion. Um, it doesn't seem like she's she's that re reachable, but if there were a way to reach her, could that possibly be it? Would she maybe be persuaded by the teachings of somebody that she's said to revere and that if she doesn't find another solution, her people are going to be destroyed by their failure to control their emotions? I don't know. Or um, maybe does she have an off switch? And Data had an off switch. <laughs> Is it possible that Sutra I was thinking could have that the too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe the eye is the off switch, but then they could turn her back on, right? That, that that's yeah. the problem with mm. it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it it doesn't make sense. <laughs> There's like, the, you know, we just get into these weird conundrums from what we know of uh, canonical material, of like this is how Vulcans would behave. Like, this is how Romulans would behave. This doesn't make sense if this character is supposed to follow Vulcan teachings to the point that she knows how to do a mind melt. I mean, dude, like, you just don't do that. It's not like humans can do that. That's a tough one to explain. Yeah, that one's tough. Yeah, and again, it's like, we... we uh, go ahead, Christine. Oh, I was going to say it's hard to apply the that needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few maximum in this situation. Um, I mean, because the most famous example of that, of course, is Spock's self-sacrifice. But this is a voluntary choice by Spock. This isn't somebody from the Federation coming down and dictating him that dictating to him what he has to do. Right? He voluntarily made that sacrifice. So if you try to apply it here, what does that mean? Does it mean that it's better for a small population of sense to assume the risk that they might die, for example, because Picard may not be able to lobby successfully on their behalf? And that's, you know, as opposed to just dialing up the AI that's waiting in the wings to destroy all organic life? I think that the way that um, it is being applied uh, would be that she looks at the situation and then you know, that Sutra says, all right, well, uh, we, we have to, our, our entire race of synthetic beings, however many it is, is under threat. The, um, the organics are, are coming to kill us and they'll never let us go. So if the survival of the sense means that a few of the sense have to die or sacrifice on the way, including my sister, um, then so be it. I think that's how she would justify you know, needs of the many right. being the, lar right. the larger synth population outweigh the needs of the one or few, you know, Saga and the others. Uh, I mean, you're right. If you extrapolate it out, like, well, if you look at the whole galaxy, then, you know, uh, uh, who, who, who sort of- I guess of, it depends um, how you define the many. <laughs> yes, yeah. Or as Picard says, it, it depends on who's holding the knife too, right? You know? Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because she's deciding in order for all of us to live, I have to wipe out everyone else and I'm okay with sacrificing one android in order to do that. That's, yeah. um, there's no self-sacrifice there. That's just playing God at that point. <laughs> or pure, pure utilitarianism, John Stuart Mill at its finest, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't think Mill would agree with that because Mill was not- No, I don't um, think he would. Yeah. Mill never talked about, well, we're gonna have to 
wipe out these people in order for the the greater good to take place. Right. Um, well, right now the two sides are basically locked in a hopeless standoff because each there's mutually assured destruction if no one is willing to budge, but each of them firmly believes that if they don't take these drastic actions, that every one of of their species is going to be wiped out. Yeah, that if both both sides believe if they don't act, then the other one the other will kill them. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, there's no mutual coexistence there, which is, again, why there's a nice Cold War analogy, uh, because that happened. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Uh, and it, isn't it interesting how Picard enters the town square? He's the voice of reason. He's making sense and he's swaying some of them. And they, you know, the response um, is basically, okay, um, let's shut him up and let's gag him because we can't have him convincing us otherwise. <laughs> he's just dangerous. He, he's like the rabble rouser now, you know? <laughs> he's going to confuse us with his age and wisdom. It's like, yes, um, right. Why? His logic, his wisdom. <laughs> um, is, is this the... Yeah, what exactly is the basis for this house arrest? I had a real problem with that. Yeah, it's yeah. What is the crime here? <laughs> there is no crime. It's they want to commit genocide and they don't want him to talk them out of it. So it's it, it's it's the classic it, it, it's the classic issue of people going like my feelings are more important than your facts. And right, or we 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 know what we're doing is wrong. We just don't want you to point it out to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, the incarceration appears to be based on what would our, in our system be considered protected political speech. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're censoring an opposing point of view. It's totally content-based. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely content-based. And um, yeah, very, I mean, it's, it's, it's not Star Chamber because it's out in the public and open. It's like, no, we decided to put grandpa away because we don't want him to talk us out of this. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, you're right. It's the classic town square where you have your political debates. <laughs> one guy starts making some sense, and then they point at him like, "Hey, muzzle him! Get him out of here!" Like, uh, that's pretty much the classic, you know, the political purposes behind the First Amendment. I think they're all in play here. You know? <laughs> Someone took a civics class before writing the scene. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah. Or, or helping their kid it, it, with uh, U.S. history homework. Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> but if if we continue this line of thought, and this is something that bothered me, you know, so Sung is the one who they're all still listening to, and he kind of um, vouches a little bit for Gerardi. So that now they leave Gerardi alone, who's, you know, who claims that she's she's the closest thing that they'll ever get to a mother. Uh, but what is to stop the synthetics from turning on Sung, you know, their creator? I mean, let, let's assume he is organic. Uh, I don't think we have like the three laws of robotics built in here. So why, why wouldn't at some point Sutra just say, okay, we need to kill all organics, you included. You Maybe know? it's more like a RoboCop program of no one from OCP gets wiped out. So, <laughs> and, and it's like, dude, I made you. So it's hardwired. You're not going to kill me. Maybe it's something like that. And, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, they just need someone to say like, you're not my dad in order for that line of programming to go away. Maybe, uh, maybe something along those lines. It is an interesting point though, Steve, because Picard does say, did you just say all? 
and yeah. all if they really mean all then yeah that would include Singh. it would also include um Girardi, who has yeah. sworn some type of loyalty oath to get out of being uh incarcerated <laughs> herself i mean you know and who knows what's going to happen with that right i mean she she says that she's going to die for her children, but is she just saying that so that she can avoid being put under house arrest? Oh, I think it's totally the latter, but I think in the second, in the next episode, that's going to be tested. I, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I have some doubts whether Agnes is going to make it um, past the season series season finale. So. Yeah. It's, she's stalling for time, you know, like reading the handwriting on the wall of, I got to do this in order for, you know, to, have a hand on the inside uh, with uh, being able to get Picard out and stop what's going on. So I, I think it's that. And, you know, I think it's so she, you know, kept her mouth shut because she re realized, no, I'm not going to win this fight, but I can win the war. And like, that's, that's probably what the two ladies are playing the long game for. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that golem is used uh, if Sung gets transferred into it, or Picard, uh, or Girardi, because like those are the three people running around, so one of them is up for grabs if they actually use it, or if it's just kind of a red herring that it's just going to stay there. No, someone uh, has to it's, go it's, in it's, it. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be used. That that's just too. That's a that's a slow pitch over the plate right there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it'd be weird if they didn't. It's like, okay, so you just did the big fake out. Um, yeah. The, so they're on a fairly large planet. Might not be as big as Earth, but for a group of like a few hundred people living in one place, why are all the androids standing inside shoulder to shoulder? Like there's, that's a really weird use of space. And it's like, it's not like they were limited. They could have built more. And they they had the you know magical repair device that you know um, uh, where where was it Saga said use your imagination, and so it's like they clearly could have made more space. So is it the androids like don't care? I mean, do they not have personal living quarters? Do they stack themselves in like cordwood? What's the deal there? And that's not legal analysis. I just found that weird of <laughs> let's untint the windows to show that we have a glass house full of people. Yeah, it's a little bit strange. What was strange to me is that they're having this conversation out in the public square, but not all of them are outside listening to the conversation. They're paying attention <laughs> to it, but it's, it's unclear whether they can actually hear what's going on. They're, they're reading they lips. They important. have to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Why doesn't any of them have enough of a personality to engage in debate? Data would. Data was the kid who kept asking why. Right. Okay. Right. We have one talkative android that's taken charge and no one seems to go, hey, that goes against everything I know. It's just, there's like no they're there <laughs> it's just like no personality it's just you know we well, we're all we're all doing yoga together in the town square and now we're not it's just <laughs> they're not very imaginative androids 
Well, one could say that that's also just mob mentality and humans are no different. You know, you get one ringleader and everyone kind of follows them off a hill, even if necessary. Um, it, it, it is interesting seeing how all the androids are packed in so tight together. You know, clearly, there's no social distancing um, going on there. No, no concerns about anything like that. I'm, I'm trying to think back on Data and his, you know, all of his episodes and appearances. I don't think so. I don't think personal space was a, an issue with him. Uh, you know, I think he was able to respect the personal space of other people, at least physically not being too close to them. I mean, he would sometimes stick around past the point where he was wanted, socially speaking, but um, I don't think he actually invaded people's space so much. However, I, I think we're also still wondering, like, how do these synthetics stack up in comparison to data? Are they as advanced or not? Do they have emotions or not? Um, are they as smart? Are they as fast? You know, we don't really know yet, you know? It, they, well, Sokka smiles. And so there does seem to be emotion and it seems to be consistent among the different models. And I do think they would meet all the qualifications for being alive as opposed to the, synth the synthetics we saw on Mars, which seemed to be more, you know, go to the freezer, get the box. Type. Yes. Yes. I carry heavy things. Yes, you sure do. Uh, like these, uh, these androids, they're doing yoga. I mean, they're, they're having their little dance party. They, <laughs> I mean, Data at least had personal quarters and took up painting. They don't seem to be doing that. It's just, it's weird. Uh, Christine, did you have any reactions to their social structure? Well, the one thing that I did start thinking about is, um, I mean, the fact that Sutra and um, Soji are almost identical looking, but not quite. Um, and Steve, you mentioned earlier, Lore and, you know, Lore had some um, deficiencies that, that Data didn't have. And not to be versionist, but I wonder if maybe Soji and Dodge were a more evolved version of Jenna and Sutra. Um, but it seems like even if that's the case, their society seems to um, have different versions and different models coexisting amongst each other. But it's pretty clear that Sutra is in charge. Like, it seems like people are just afraid to contradict her. Yeah, that's the, she's mean. <laughs> she's yeah. Mean. And, you know, during Picard's rousing speech, um, although it's, he doesn't offer a lot of guarantees, he just says, they will listen to me. You know, I will be your advocate. We can save everyone. Come on my ship. I, I know that you, would, you don't have reason to trust me from before, but I will do this. He seems to be swaying people up to the point where Dr. Alton Sung says, uh, where Picard says, they will listen to me. And Dr. Alton Sung says, no, they won't. They didn't listen to you before. They're not going to mm -hmm. listen to you now. And now, you know, sort of like the balloon is popped, all the air goes out. You know, any chance that Picard had to sway all of them seems to be gone. And then, um, uh, and, you know, it's, it just starts to fall apart and Sutra jumps in as well. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it just, when you look at the logical extremes that take place between, all right, so the Romulans want to kill us and there's 218 warbirds cu coming our way. We could go to the Federation, people that we got some issues with, but historically they're the good guys. Or there's this unknown race of synthetic life that we could call in and just wipe everybody else out. That's pretty extreme. 
to go with, we're going to go with plan C and just commit genocide of oral organic life just because we're going to go with the unknown option. That's just, it's, it's not a logical call. And I would just expect that even if they're artificial people to still have opinions of their own. It's just, you know, what was their society like? Was it just yoga and painting every day? <laughs> and that's all that they did. It's like, it's like, okay, Soji did a lot of, excuse me, um, uh, Soltra did a lot of reading. Does, did anyone else learn anything or is it just, you know, volleyball all day long? Yeah, pretty and, nice vacation resort there, you know? <laughs> yeah, like if that's their life, it's like, well, you're sheep. Come on. You know, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> that's what you were made to be? Uh, I, just, I expected more debate. And, you know, like when we saw, you know, the what was left of that Romulan enclave, you know, people were at least, or the Romulans were at least like emoting and you could tell there were different personality types as opposed to, we'll do what the scary girl says. Yeah, they don't seem to have, a, as you guys have pointed out, much of a social hierarchy or political structure, any sort of chain of command. It just seems that Dr. Alton Sung's uh, words and Sutra's words, for whatever reason, seem to carry the most weight from what we've seen thus far. Yeah, there's definitely no separation of powers going on here. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no. <laughs> Sung and Sutra's word are law. Yep. <laughs> whatever you say. Okay, let's go commit genocide. Yay! That's just very cultish. It's so not. Yeah, actually, it is kind of like a cult, right? It's like reverse Jonestown. We'll just kill everyone. Who's with yeah. me? It's like, uh, no. No, no, no. And story-wise, I think uh, we're really being set up for this to pay off in the next episode, but one could argue that much of the entire um, first season has been about uh, sort of the conflict or the struggle for Soji's soul in a way, you know, like, where is she going to come down on this? She's fated to be the destroyer. Picard even says, if you do this, you will fulfill that destiny of being the destroyer. Is that what you want to be? And she's clearly conflicted. So next episode, I think we're going to see some kind of payoff. I mean, Soji will have to make some choice and, Will she choose sort of peace or will she choose extermination? I, I um, think they, they, the prophecy is being applied to the wrong sisters. We yes, already, maybe. We right. already got a dead sister and Sultra, Sutra is all about being the destroyer. So like it's, it's like, you know, who was the right Skywalker to be the chosen one? It's uh, they, they, they did not read the prophecy correctly. And uh, the crazy anti-Romulan uh, picked the wrong twins. Right. That's a good point. Su when Sutra did, seems to be when the destroyer. When did she see it? Yeah, when did she even see the admonition? That is. I mean, would Soji have even existed at that time? And if they have know. this concept, you're right, must, mustn't they have been referring to, to Sutra and Jenna? Possibly. And again, this gets into like Romulan mysticism that we really haven't talked about. How did that work with them knowing that there would be a pair of twins and that right. one would die and one would be the destroyer? That, right. I mean, I, I enjoy a little mysticism in Star Trek and mysticism versus AI is, is a fun concept. They haven't gone anywhere with it. Like they just kind of 
let it dangle and then they walked away. Uh, and how would the Romulan auntie recognize, uh, you know, the twins too, you know? Uh, I mean, I guess there's Data's painting, which again, we have to explain somehow, but how, how is all this foretold so neatly? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, again, looking at the playing cards, you're, they're the Romulan tarot cards of, uh, you know, like the, these are the, she's a twin. Okay. Still, that requires us to believe that there's mystical Romulan tarot cards that actually work. And if we're going to go with Vulcan mysticism, okay. So we have to take a little magic for granted. Uh, but it's just, it's a weird storytelling loose end. It's better than the Discovery loose ends in their storytelling. So uh, I can forgive it easier. But it's just, it's a little weird. But let's go to uh, one more issue on how to prosecute Commodore O, and maybe this just keeps getting added to the criminal complaint. You know, the Federation uh, Commodore in charge of security is leading the Romulan fleet in Romulan attire. <laughs> and... Um, like we, we've now crossed into like full blown, this is treason. She's not just giving aid and comfort to the enemy, but it's full on collaboration. She's one of them. She doesn't get a you know, free pass because as soon as a member of the Federation goes like, why are you dressed as a Romulan Commodore now? What's going on here? Uh, Christine, do you want to take the, the treason issue here with her? <laughs> sure. So, um, so again, if you're to analogize to U.S. law, you would need to have two elements. You'd need to have ad adherence to the enemy um, or, or intent, and then some kind of overt act of rendering aid and comfort, and you need both of those things. So, so interestingly, so we've got, we've got O in her Romulan garb, although she's also working for the Vosh. So I guess query first whether you could say it's the, the Jatvash or the Romulans that are the enemy here. Um, I mean, I, I think when I first started thinking about it, I was analyzing it as though um, she's giving aid and comfort to the Jatvash, um, not necessarily looking at it from the angle of, is this the Romulan free state that is now qualifying as an enemy of the Federation? Um, but I think that, um, I think that if you look at it as intent to aid the, the Zotbots, yeah, she's the leader of that organization. She's actually infiltrated Starfleet. She's committed numerous overt acts. She's engineered this attack on the shipyard. She's um, uh, assaulted Girardi with this admonition that Girardi doesn't even want to see. She's presumably behind the, um, and her, her forces are presumably behind the attack on Picard at his home. Um, Narissa, who works for O, is behind the attack on Hugh. So I think there's numerous examples of overt acts. Um, but um, to play devil's advocate, uh, wouldn't it wouldn't it be treason also to give aid and comfort to the synths, considering that there's a ban on their very existence, and that presumably applies Federation wide? So if O if O is on the hook for treason, how come our friends are not facing a similar charge. Well, because 
let's talk about how that's different. The synths just want to be able to live. Like this is different than going, we've decided to eliminate all, oh, let's say Cubans. And that's our ban. We put a ban on Cuba and they can't exist anymore. So we're going to turn them all off. And you go like, wait a minute, you can't turn off people. You can't just flip the off switch and say, we're, we're done with them. That's, that'd be a war crime. So the, you know, the synthetics just want to live. And they, they have their, uh, you know, very uh, new Eden um, hippie yoga attire that they're hanging out in, just living their best lives, having no concept of, you know, what's, what's sadness. Uh, you can't justify genocide uh, based upon just that premise alone and saying that. Oh, no, I would. Yeah, I would fully agree with you up to that point. But what about the point at which Sutra decides, yeah, why don't we call the AI? At that point, are they, are they the, the enemy of the Federation? Uh, good question. It doesn't mean that they're a nation state. So it looks like they're like an independent actor. Uh, maybe, I don't want to use, you know, we talked about cult, but they're a community. Uh, it's highly problematic at that point when they've declared war on all life. And the issue is how do you talk them out of it? Um, because both sides being wrong doesn't make anybody right. It's like, who's the least wrong in the situation? And uh, when both sides are just trying to commit genocide, neither one is right. So that's, which is why I'm gonna start side with Picard on trying to stop the genocide from happening because that shouldn't be on anyone's talking points for the day of, guess what? Uh, we committed genocide. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. Are they now enemy combatants? Because, you know, we, we have this push to call in AI. Uh, that is, an, I mean, it's, it's the classic, you've made somebody an enemy. Right. Well, and at this point, is, are we fairly certain that the Romulan Free State is now supporting the, the Jatvash? Like, that's still a tough call, because I don't know the answer to that, because does the Jatvash or the Tal Shiar have the ability in this post-supernova uh, world to build a fleet of 218 warbirds, or is that state action? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that, because uh, it's, mm -hmm. you know, is it... Are they so secretive and powerful that they could have 218 warbirds and if each one has a crew of, let's just say 500, that's, that's a lot of Romulans. <laughs> like that, those are big. <laughs> that, that, that's a huge, huge armada with lots of Romulans. Uh, or are, they, are the ships more automated with smaller crews? I, I don't know. Mm. You know, the latter is definitely a possibility, but I think the closest analogy we have to this in the Star Trek world, there is a precedent for this in DS9. Uh, you may remember that the, uh, the Cardassians and the Romulans, not their governments, but rather the Obsidian Order and the Tashiar conspired together to, to conduct a preemptive strike. 
you know, on the founders. Uh, and they put together their own fleets and they were going to go ahead with this non-state sanctioned attack, which was supposed to wipe out or at least disable the founders and thereby cut, their, cut them off at the knees and win the war before it got started. And it may have been successful, except that you know, the effort was infiltrated. But it showed that people, these independent, these independent organizations, um, they are able to do a lot outside of state action. I think what we have is not just in this case, in this, um, in this situation, we have not just the Satvash, but I think we also have the entire Tal Shiar, or you know, what's left of them. Um, so you know, they should be able to get certainly some ships. 218, I mean, that is an awful lot. Uh, just the numbers alone make you wonder if that ha it's got to be state sanctioned at that point you know, to get that many ships. I'm trying to think back to how many ships were involved in the uh, DS9 episode. I don't think we were at 200. I think we were closer to maybe 60 or 70 ships, which is still a sizable amount. But uh, uh, it's, you know, we, we don't know one way or the other. Uh, for the moment, I, I would say this is probably the Tal Shiar and the Zatvash acting on their own without the Romulan Free State. But um, that's just based on the way it's been portrayed thus far. You know, we haven't really heard anything from official channels from the Romulan Free State, uh, which, you know, story-wise, it also begs the question, I mean, how are they going to stop this invasion? Uh, Starfleet has sent some ships, but a squadron, last time I checked, was typically 12. Uh, and that's the word that they use that Picard and um, and Clancy use. You know, maybe they will send a fleet of over 100 ships. I don't know, but it would certainly be hard to mobilize that many ships in such a short amount of time. So, I, I think they're going to have to look for some other way out of this uh, in this in the season finale. Yeah, it raises interesting questions like how big is the Starfleet at this point in time? You know, are they? You know, in, during the Cold War, we had a 600 ship navy. We don't have that right now we don't we have what a dozen or so aircraft carriers and you know a battle fleets you know sizable but it's not 200 sizable so uh how many are on their way and i, I think the story again this is just because there are parts of the storytelling that are predictable you know we know that picard's message will get through so we're going to see the calvary arrive in the next episode and we'll see a bunch of starships come in because we need to. We, we only have that dream sequence of Enterprise D and I think for uh, completing the circle we'll see Enterprise E as part of the rescue because that, that's a good way to close it. Uh, my, I, I, I believe we're going to get a, another peek at another next gen character. My money's on Captain Worf in command of the Enterprise E. That's my prediction. Uh, Runner-up would be Captain LaForge on Yosemite or whatever ship that, that he has that, that we saw at the end of Voyager. Uh, Christine, do you have a prediction on what next-gen character might we see in the finale, uh, if any? If any. Um, so. I think I'm I'm with you on the Worf LaForge being the more likely. Um, that seems to be at least the rumors that are circulating. Um, as far as the other um, characters, I thought it I thought it was interesting. We we've got some unresolved issues even just within the the current cast. 
Steve already touched on Soji a little bit. It's not clear what she's going to do. Um, and in terms of picking a side, it's going to, you know, come down to the, the last episode. But that's true of a lot of other characters as well. So she was one on my list. Another on my list was Agnes. She says she's going to die for her children. So how firm is that conviction? And um, Narek is also on my list. So far, he's been loyal to Narissa and um, and oh, but would he possibly form a new alliance to prevent an even greater tragedy? Don't know. Um, and then Ramda. Ramda is the only character who has seen, who has both seen the admonition and also been assimilated. And we have a bunch of XBs there as well. So if she's on that ship with the um, the Jatvash, uh, you know, I don't know if they'll do anything with her character. I just think her character is interesting, and they wish I wish they would do something with her. Um, but if she's on that ship, I think it's anybody's anybody's guess what she's going to do. Yeah, I'm I'm sure we're going to see the cube fly again, and uh, because they you know they they need something to narrow the odds. So even if there's only a handful of Federation ships a even partially functioning board cube would still make mincemeat out of most of the Romulan ships. So yeah. A, Wasn't it 30 or maybe 40 starships that were not out of Wolf 359? So, you know. A lot. I think, I think the death toll was around 11 million. So yeah, there was, uh, yeah, taking out a cube is difficult. Uh, but that one's had better days. And it also had a hard landing. So there's that. Uh, but those ships heal themselves, so there's that. Uh, Steve, your any gut feelings on what character we might see as a nice little homage, hat tip cameo? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll make the left field prediction, which I think is very unlikely to come true, but wouldn't it be something if, if we, I, I guess I'm still hoping for the return of data, um, you know, Maybe Gerardi has brought the memories, uh, the memory engrams, they implant them in the new Gollum and we get data. And he sits up and says, you know, Captain, what have I missed? You know, something like that. That would be, um, that would be pretty awesome. You know, I, I'm, but I think Worf or the Forge are more likely. I'm still wondering what's happened to Beverly and hopefully we'll, we'll find out at some point. But uh, we may get the return of captain or admiral Riker, but i think it's been too short of a time for him to leave his vacation planet put on his uniform and you know lead an entire starfleet you know within the span of two or three days there so yeah that, that's a little that would be one hell of a power play i mean like that would yeah. require um admiral clancy also like picking up the phone and going to battle stations not saying it's impossible but seeing uh right you know Captain Riker, if it's Admiral Riker, we don't know. He's at least a captain. That um, I, I enjoyed seeing him make pizza, and like <laughs> I'd be content with that if that's the only appearance that we we get of him this time around. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see somebody else um, uh, come to the rescue. It could be some B-list characters too. We we could get a like a Reggie Barkley or some something crazy like that, you know. Captain Barkley, yeah, that would yeah. be. Yeah, <laughs> goodness help us. <laughs> that that would send a positive message, but it would be that would be very left field. You know, a a Captain Wesley Crusher like that could make sense as well. All right. Um, or Janeway or Chakotay, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I just think they would go with a next-gen character over a Voyager or Deep Space Nine one. Probably. Uh, I mean, not that, I mean, I, I watch both of those shows and there are a lot of wonderful characters that they could pull from. But I, I just think for a curtain call, and especially for a curtain call, they go for a next-gen character, especially if they're using Enterprise-E, because I, I think it would be weird not to have the big E make an appearance in the finale. Yes. So, but hey, we'll find out Thursday. So there's uh definitely definitely um, before we uh, sign off I um, you know in the news today was news about um, uh, the founder of um, uh, above the law David Latt uh, who's been in critical condition and on a ventilator and, and fighting uh, the COVID-19 virus uh, I think I've only interacted with David a couple times on Twitter uh, but I've read him for years I really uh, wish him a speedy recovery I hope he and his husband are um, as comfortable as they can be and that uh, we're, we're pulling for him to pull through. So I uh, wanted to be sure to, to share that because he's made one giant positive contribution to the practice of law with above the law. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a go-to source for news. Uh, Definitely. So I uh, wish David the best. Definitely. Uh, that aside, uh, thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed us, please leave a review wherever you listen to us, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google. Uh, there were on many different podcast players. So wherever you listen to us, please leave a review. Uh, we do have our Patreon, which does have some additional content there. And check that out. And everyone, uh, we are going to be having more episodes on different topics and uh uh, while we're all working from home because suddenly it's a little more free time to, to record. Uh, so stay tuned for some perhaps lunchtime recordings and others. Uh, so with that, uh, stay geeky. Stay geeky, America. <laughs>